Hi, this is Lauren Roberts, and welcome to Firefly Ignite. In today's episode, I speak with Carrie Rosland, who is a fiber artist based in New York. Her needle felting has received numerous awards and significant recognition the last few years, and she walks us through her journey of what goes into creating these contemporary tapestries. So let's tune in to our conversation. Well, Carrie, Rosalind, it's great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about your story. I'm excited to hear about what you do. My mom actually introduced me to your work, and I was looking at what you did online, and it was breathtaking, and I thought, I've got to get her on this show. I want to hear about what she does. And... So I want to hear from you, first of all, like, what's your story and where do you come from and how did you get into what you're doing now? If you could describe that for me. Sure. So I am a fiber artist. I live right now in Western New York. Um, I've been working probably full time uh, in fiber for about five years. Uh, but I've worked in it for several years, and the, the way I got into fiber is through um, raising sheep. We had lived very rurally in Pennsylvania at the time, and um, my daughter came home from a sleepover, and she had been out with a friend of hers who was in a farming family, and they had been helping, um, unbeknownst to us, they had been helping with like the lambing at the uncle's farm. And uh, there were two orphan lambs, which means they didn't have a mom. And so my daughter and her friend had been bottle feeding these babies all weekend over her sleepover. We didn't know anything about this. But when she came home, the, um, the farmer called us that night and, and said, uh, the uncle farmer called us and said, if you want this lamb, come and get it. And we were like, what? What? Because up to this point, we had... My husband and I were familiar with cats and dogs, but we had no experience with any kind of farm animal. And so um, we were like, what's going on? And my daughter just started crying. You know, she's just little, you know, when they're innocent and young. And, and she said, well, my friend nursed this baby lamb and I nursed the other. And we decided they would be best friends forever, like we'll be best friends forever. And so we thought, well, you know, what? what's the benefit of living out here in the country is that you have a little bit of property and you can kind of explore all these things. So we thought, well, how hard can it be? You know, we, we can keep one little lamb alive. And what we didn't realize was that lambs, sheep are herd animals and you can't have just one. <laughs> you okay. have to have many. <laughs> okay. So before we knew it, we had this giant flock of sheep. And, uh, of course, because of that, we had all this wool and, uh, in learning to, you know, work with the sheep and take care of the animals, we also learned what to do with this fiber source that we, you know, all of a sudden had this massive amount of. So, uh, yeah, I started learning how to work with that uh, through other farmers and other um, shepherds and and um, they kind of taught me how to work with the wool and how to clean it and process it um, and take it all through that process. And then uh, just dyeing, cleaning. Um, uh, and they, they took me into the traditional stuff. They took me into like spinning and weaving. 
And none of those things really struck a chord with me. But when they got to the end and they said, once you've made this sweater from your own sheep, um, at the very end, you can use this little needle to attach, you know, like this picture on your, your handmade sweater. And I thought, oh, no, I think I can do a lot more with that tool. So I just started playing with it. And, um, yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. I really – I work primarily in needle felting. Um, but uh, I, I also do some wet felting, but primarily with needle felting. And I, I make landscapes and um, just in, just pictures inspired by nature. Right. So that's how I got into it. <laughs> okay. So this is only five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it five is. Five years ago. So five years ago, full time. Uh, okay. Probably 10 years ago, we had our sheep. And I was playing around with it. You know, it sometimes it takes a long time for you to really understand a medium and to really get into the nuances of how it can be used and all that it all that can be done with it. And we, I wasn't just working with the fiber itself. I was working from a raw fleece where you're like picking out um, the natural, you know, some of that stuff inside of it and cleaning it and dyeing it. So I was learning all of those processes probably 10 years ago. And it wasn't until five years ago that I started doing that full time. Okay. That's when I really went in full time. Yeah. Okay. So five years ago is when you fully got into it. But let me ask you this. What is your experience in art prior to that time? You know, this obviously the, you're very creative. And so tell me about your sure. journey as an artist. So I uh, really fell in love with drawing and sketching. Uh, from a young age. I did it when I was real young and um, all through elementary school um, and even into high school, I did a lot of that, uh, primarily working with pencil. I really enjoyed doing um, just real detailed uh, pictures and capturing what I saw. That was, that was really my focus then. I worked primarily in black and white um, and yeah, I, I won awards. I did really well. My art teacher, who was a big influence in my life, said, hey, you, you know, have you ever thought about going to school for art and, you know, possibly becoming an art teacher? And I hadn't really thought about my future, um, but he helped me uh, get into school I, uh, and get a scholarship. And so, yeah, I do have uh, training in my background, but it was primarily in the fine arts. None of my schooling was in fiber. It was all primarily in fine art, like printmaking, uh, painting. I did a lot of color theory and, um, yeah, just different classes there. But, it, you know, we did pottery. We did a, a, a little bit of sculpture, uh, but I didn't really even know what, anything about fiber. I, as I said, like it says in my bio, um, you know, my grandmother was this weaver and I grew up in Woolrich. So I always had this affinity for wool, but I always saw it as a functional, you know, I never thought of it as an artistic medium. I always saw it as this functional, very practical, um, very tangible, warm, you know, material that was used to mm -hmm. in everyday life. I never thought of it as something. Make sweaters, <laughs> keep yourself warm. <laughs> right, exactly. I had been trained in fine art, so I never thought of that as something that could be um, used to create pictures necessarily. 
outside of, you know, like your traditional woven tapestry. Right. Okay. So um, even though that was in my history, I never put those two together. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. So you had this wonderful background in art that uh, you were able to develop your talents over time with, and then suddenly through this unusual circumstance with your daughter, surprise, <laughs> you're suddenly drawn to using this new medium as a form yes. of expression. Yeah. So um, I had set aside my my art, um, just my creativity. My creativity probably turned more towards teaching when I had children. Um, I I taught all different kinds of classes. I taught in the public school for a little bit. I did classes for women's groups. I taught in senior centers. Um, I did classes for uh, students, high school students, all age groups. Um, and most of my creativity was really going into helping them express themselves and helping them learn you know, what medium they liked and who they were and how they liked to create. But when you, when you pour that much into teaching, that really becomes your creativity. I didn't have a whole lot of time left in my day um, in being a mom um, to really do anything for myself. Yeah. Um, and so there was a time in my life where I set aside a lot of that and just thought, okay, this is what it's going to, uh, you know, it's going to look like teaching for me. It's going to look like inspiring other people. It's going to look like pouring into my children. And, um, yeah, that's what I did. I kind of mm -hmm. set it aside and, and you know, swapped my dreams for what, you know, what was in front of me and, and what I had, you know, where I was to give, like, you know, yeah. dealing with what's going on in front of you. Yeah. So, and it was good. You know, I was very happy teaching. It was very rewarding. But my youngest daughter... Um, uh, developed uh, epilepsy, and uh, that kind of rocked my world, and 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 put everything on a halt. And when that happened, um, that's kind of when uh, I stopped and began to reevaluate. Okay, where are we? What's going on? And and how is God speaking to me at this time? Really, you know, I, in a desperate time when you feel almost hopeless, that's when God, you know can speak to you into places that you didn't give him place to speak before. Mm. And so um, it was in that time that he said, let's go back and revisit, you know, that creative part of you. And, um, and then he just began to speak to me in pictures. And the fiber, the wool, was all happening in that, at that same time. So okay. that's how that all came about. I like the phrase that you used you said you had sort of a swapping of dreams for a season. And I think that that happens sometimes in our lives. We do have seasons where some things are put down and other things are picked up. And then there can be kind of a reversal on that as well. And so it sounds to me that's sort of what happened in your journey. Yeah, definitely. So I am really curious about the creative process Walk me through, start to finish, what it would look like for you to produce one of your. What, okay, what would you call it? One of your, it's not a painting. What's the word you would use? So they're called needle felt painting. It's it's become this new way of painting. Okay, but I also call them like a contemporary tapestry because they're okay. not quite woven. 
Um, and I, and I, my needle felting is so much bigger than most people needle felt. You know, I have pieces that are like seven foot. <laughs> That's really big to needle felt. So um, I call them a contemporary tapestry, um, but I also, they're also known as needle felting. If you're looking for the technique, it would be needle felt painting. Okay. <laughs> I love that phrase, contemporary tapestry. That's really what it is, especially like you said, on the the size and scale that you're producing is a tapestry, isn't it? And yeah. a, a contemporary one. So so walk me through that process of, of producing a needle felt painting start to finish what does that look like? Okay, so I will start with um, with going to the local farms in my area. We have moved quite a bit in our lives uh, for my husband's job. We are moving. And so uh, because of that, I'm constantly uh, introduced to a new community and therefore new fibers. Um, and so far, uh, where I am in Western New York, um, for me, it would look like connecting with the local farmers in my area and um, going to their farms and talking to them about their fleeces. Uh, usually that's done in um, the fall, and then they'll coat the, anim they'll coat the animal so that uh, it protects the fleece. And then in the spring, they'll shear it for me. I'll go and pick it up. And then I'll, I'll wash that fleece several times at my house. Um, and then I will dye it. Sometimes I will dye with natural dyes, um, and sometimes I'll dry, dye with synthetic dyes. And, of course, the natural dyes are, again, things I've gathered from the area I'm in. And then once I have a palette, I'll then either work from a, a photo of a place that I uh, was just super inspiring to me, like I, that was a place of transition for me or a place of change or just a place that really settled in my heart as a place of peace. Um, or I will uh, work with the fibers themselves and kind of pull out this landscape that is, you know, settled in my heart and uh, put that into the fibers. One or the other, that's typically what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Okay. So take me back to what you just said about dyeing it. So because you create the dye from natural substances. I find yeah. this amazing. So I want to hear about this just a little bit more. So tell me about what are you using for the dyes and what are you, what substances are you using? How far have you had to travel to get what you need in order to get the right color for things? So this year I did a project where I wanted to source everything from the, unbeknownst to me, I planned it all before there was um, even... A, a hint of COVID um, or the um, the travel restrictions. I had planned out this project to really dig into the county I was living in and discover all that was there. Um, and that looked like going back to the roots and resources within that county um, and really just discovering, discovering what, what was there for fibers, discovering what was there for um, plants. And so... Um, yeah, I would just travel around and go to different places um, and uh, look for things along the, the roadside. And I would pick, uh, I would study what types of plants could be used for natural dyeing. I would gather them. And then I would uh, either use solar dyeing, which is where you can kind of, uh, in, in the United States, we make this thing called sun tea. 
Do you do you know what Sun Tea is? Yes. Where you put yes. it in a jar and you just stick yeah. it outside. Right. So I was using um, that same kind of method to put uh, all my gathered materials into jars and set them out and let that let that sun leach the color out of whatever was gathered, and then um, and then I would either put it in a pot or again put fibers back out with that color and dye them again. So. Um, the furthest I went, I, I would, I was using natural dyeing for two reasons. I wanted the community to get involved. I thought if this could be a good distraction or a good way for me to meet more people in my area outside of these, outside of the farmers. Um, and I thought if they could just collect the resources they have in their yards or in their, wherever they are, then I will take all those resources and I will put it into a piece and it will be celebrating everybody. You know, you know, everybody's hands and feet are involved in that process. That was my, that was my idea. Yes. <laughs> now that was hard to do because everybody was, you know, kind of in their own space. But I did have a few people volunteer to gather things for me and collect. And um, I've, they are very much a part of the story that I told when I, when I showed these, the last set of, this last series of pieces that I did. Yeah. So I've used things like mushrooms. I've used things like roots. Um, I've used common things like uh, stinging nettles um, and things that weren't so common, um, like some lichen and different things like that. Uh, I just kind of gathered from what was in my area. So you could do a lot of natural dyeing with things from around the world, but I, I really wanted to focus on just my county. I love that. I love that you can produce this tapestry and just say, this is us. This is yeah. all of us. This, you know, and, and you're gathering from everyone around you. You're connecting. Yeah. It's a place of connection, really. Absolutely. So how long would a typical piece take for you to do? I mean, I don't know if anything is typical, but an average piece of work that you're doing it, obviously, you've got the dyeing, which takes a certain amount of time. But once you kind of then begin the process. Right. It doesn't take me as long as maybe you would think, but it is a lot longer than maybe a painting. I would say uh, usually about a month uh, with probably, you know, five to six hours a day. I hand felt everything. I hand, I needle felt by hand. So... Uh, you know, after six hours of, you know, stabbing with your hand, your arm gets pretty tired. <laughs> so I, uh, I would say six, you know, probably five to six hours a day. I do a lot of twisting. Um, I do also some blending of colors uh, where you would put that through um, either hand carters or a carding machine to kind of blend my colors and mix them. So I would say probably five to six hours a day. Uh, five days a week, right? Um, okay, probably about a month. Yeah. And using felt, I guess the more you do it, the more you know what you're working with. But if you're working with different flocks, yeah, and you're having to get used to different fibers and how they're made, is there a lot of trial and error when you're working with new material? There is, yeah. So there are. I will try and do smaller pieces where. Um, I can see whether or not, you know, some breeds have a mix of wool and hair. Um, I try not to work a lot with them, but I, 
if they're part of my community, I bring them in. So, so I will uh, find a way to do these small, smaller areas or smaller sections, and then I, I'll work up to what I do know, um, the the fleeces I'm more familiar with. Some of the breeds in the area I'm in, in I'm in now are kind of a crossbreed of some I've worked with before. And um, I also research the breeds and research, okay, what is this traditionally used for? Um, how has it been used? Is it considered a coarse or a fine wool? And all of those will tell you how it's going to felt. Yeah. How do you know when you're finished? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I guess when I feel it's balanced and I feel, you know, the color, the color is, is communicating the right thing and... Um, yeah, there's an there's interest and there's depth and and the colors communicating the correct thing. I would say that's how I know when I'm finished. Yeah. Talk me through two or three pieces that you've done in this last year. So for those who are listening to our podcast, obviously they can go look up your website, which I'll talk about at the end where they can find your work. But what are the types of scenes that you've been working on this last year? So this past year, not only did I gather all my materials from the county, but I also wanted to depict some hidden areas of our county, some areas that were kind of um, off the beaten path or, you know, lost on some back road, but really captured the beauty of our area. Um, because I was, you know, new to an area and things were closed down. And I thought, what is here? I have no idea. And so I wanted to find the hidden gems, the hidden gems of this. I knew they were there. I just, I didn't know where they were. So I went on an adventure looking for them. And um, I found, I would say the first one, one of my favorites, I have two favorites. Um, they both are actually sold. But um, the first one was a, a road behind, there's a bog. Um, called the Allenberg Bog. It's it's close to my house. And, um, you you know, we drove by it and we're like, wow, that's a beautiful area. But we didn't know it was a bog. Um, and it's owned by the Audubon Society. And uh, as we were traveling around, uh, we talked to some people about it and they said, oh, that's actually a famous bog. You know, it has uh, plants, species that are only grown there. You know, they're not grown anywhere else. And we're like, this is a hidden gem, you know? And so we started driving around trying to see like, how do you get into there? What's the, you know, where exactly is it? We started to study it more. And on one of the back roads, we found this beautiful, it was in the fall and the sun was shining and this, just this beautiful uh, vista looking out over um, a road and, and, and fields and back in, and you can see the bog touched, you know, in the back in the background in the, of that piece. And um, that was a picture that said, this is the first hidden gem for me. That was, you know, that was the first realization to me. This is the first hidden gem in this area. You're going to find more. That's how I felt. So th I, that snapshot was a beautiful, I took a photo of it to work from. It was a beautiful photo, but it really said to me, um, you know, that there's more here than you know. And, and, um, and this is, there's lots of hidden things for you to find. So I felt like that was a big one for me. That's one of my favorites. 
that actually has, so I came up with six, 60 dye variations from the natural materials within our area. And so that piece has all 60 dye variations. So wow. I was really excited about that one. And then the other one, I wanted to find hidden places, but there were a couple other areas that are uh, near us. There's a ski resort and, um, you know, it's a beautiful there are some beautiful slopes on that. We were really excited to be in that area because there was this resource there. And so there were parts of that area, the ski slopes, that were just breathtaking um, to me. And they felt so um, they felt so intimate while they were such a public space. And so I wanted to capture some of that uh, intimate-ness uh, of the, the, the pines uh, covered with snow and, and the slope, uh, that laid out before me. And so that would probably be the second piece that I did. I knew when I took the photos, these are two places that I will be, I will be depicting, um, through these local fibers. And the, the cool thing about that piece is that, um, that one has, you know, maybe only 11 or 12 of the natural fibers, but, or the natural dyes, but it, it, what it incorporates is the natural color of the fibers, the local fibers. So I think it has maybe seven or eight variations of local fibers, but it's all their natural color. So okay. that one I really love for that reason. Those are two probably pieces that I, I've really enjoyed making this past year. That's amazing. Thanks. So do you still manage sheep <laughs> on your own still or is that is are you done with that we have moved so much that we we weren't able to bring our our sheep with us our first move was from a very rural area to an urban area um, down towards Pittsburgh and so when we made that move we had to sell our flock we did bring we did have a, a angora bunny <laughs> that we brought with us and so we I still was feeling good like okay we're still raising some fiber that comes from our own house but in this past this last move um we we let the Angora bunny go to a, a nice little 4-H girl who wants to show it at fair. And yeah. and we I just decided, you know what, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna support the local farmers who really don't see the wool as a resource that is has a lot of value. Right. Quite frankly. Right. Sure. Sure. So I wanna ask you a little bit about what inspires you. Now, obviously you're an artist at heart. You take inspiration from nature and from the, the places that are right around you. But what would you say are some of your core motivations in your art and how you express it to the world? You know, I love fiber because it's so tactile. You can stick, it's a substantial thing. You can stick your fingers in it. You can hold it and feel it and, and, um, it, it has substance. And so, and not just that, but it is so vibrant and, and full of life when you dye it. I feel like the, the color just, it just holds color and just, just literally emanates color. So, um, I think that there, there is hope and there is life. And, um, when we, when we dig in deep and, and get to those, get into the nitty gritty of things that, um, that, that can be brought out. I, I really feel like that's my creative process in the twisting and the, um, 
you know, manipulating the folding and the, the felting, all of that is just, um, is speaking to the life and light that uh, comes out in my pieces. I would say that is what I, I hope to communicate. Um, I did ask some people that follow me on online, like, okay, what, what draws you in? What, what speaks to you? And, and a lot of them said, like, I really love how you capture nature and you, you just somehow allow the life of that place to like exude out from the piece. And, um, I guess that's really what I'm trying to do. I wouldn't, I don't know that I go at it that way, but <laughs> that's kind of what comes out. Obviously you're doing it because you love it. And then it's yeah. always a wonderful thing when others are able to join in in that experience as well. Yeah. I love that. Um, these last few pieces were, uh, kind of a cooperative opportunity for people around me to celebrate the things they had in front of themselves, but they never realized were such an amazing resource and, and never realized such held, held such life and substance. Right. So I love that. Right. Now you've had some collaborative works as well during the pandemic. I'd love to hear about that a little bit. Yeah, I have. I, so I felt like my next, after doing all this deep root <laughs> uh, resources and roots discovering them in my own county. I felt like it was a time for me to really dig into not just going deep, but going out and really uh, exploring and investigate and and sharing that uh, creative time with other people. So um, I've had quite a few collaborative uh, opportunities pop up for me this year. And even though, you know, we still have, there's still some restrictions about getting together and um, open spaces. We've really, with each one of these opportunities, it's really been a, um, it's really been great to be able to work with people, you know, in the ways that we can, we still can. So the first one, uh, a jeweler reached out to me and said, I'd love to work with you. I'm a silversmith. She's in Oregon. And she said, I'd love to work with you. Would you be willing to, uh, make, you know, some pieces for me and, and I'd love to try and incorporate them with my, with my jewelry. And at the time it was the beginning of the pandemic when, you know, your kind everything for an artist has been shut down, all shows gone, yes. uh, your whole year planned out gone. Yeah. And so just the fact that she would reach out and say to me, Hey, let's, you know, and she's on the other side of the country, you know, days away <laughs> by car and for her to reach out and say, Hey, let's connect. Let's, let's find this way of working together and let's be on the same page. It was, it was a huge turning point for me in, in my creative process, um, during that time. So I have really appreciated that. Now that has been a long process, uh, coming a long time coming. Cause she was working through some different things about how the pieces could come together. Um, and she really wanted them to be something that could be, um, the best of both of our arts brought together, but still a functional piece of, um, jewelry. Um, but she was able to do that. And she, she actually just sent me three pieces to sell. She sent me a few to begin with, <laughs> that were kind of the mock-up and and she just sent me three pieces to sell. So I was really excited about that. And then um, I, I really have been wanting to do work with my husband. He's an amazing woodworker. Um, 
his process for creating is way different from mine. He's a detail-oriented, traditional, you know, studies the history of a way something is made and the way it's supposed to look and, and really likes to, um, you know, follow in those footsteps. He loves that process. And so we haven't found too many areas with my painting and the different things that he's done where we could work together on something. Um, but we, with all this shutdown and with all this time at home with family, you really, you really have more time for conversations right. and you really have more time for conversations from the heart. And, um, we just had the opportunity to kind of share like, okay, how are we process? It started with the processing of emotions. How are we processing this? What's getting us through? What are we doing to kind of work through all of these things? And then from that place, you know, you get these word pictures that kind of, uh, share what you're processing emotionally. And as we did that, I kind of shared, he shared some of his, you know, processing pictures in his mind and I shared some of mine. And, and in doing that, I said, wouldn't these be some, you know, wouldn't this look like some amazing, um, sculptural work? And, and we both said, yeah. And, and he said, I think I could do some things in wood. And I said, I think I can do some things in wool. And, and so we just started, you know, planning those out and dreaming about those. So we have a show set up at the end of the year for those. And um, I just got a grant to fund my side of it. And, uh, yeah, I have, I have some other opportunities that have come up as well. So they're, they're see they seem to be popping up all over where people yeah. just want to connect. Yeah. And they want to connect through their creativity. That's really exciting. And and the chance for you to work alongside your husband yeah. in a unique way is wonderful. What it a gift. Is. It is. Yeah, we're we're super excited. A little nervous. <laughs> a little nervous in okay, how, you know, we're each exploring a different our medium in a different way. I'm not typically a sculptor with my with how I do things. I work typically into that two-dimensional. I mean, sometimes I'll have a relief in there, but I don't typically go straight three-dimensional. And he doesn't always um, do contemporary work, but this these pieces will be more contemporary. So yeah. Uh, yeah, excited for that. It sounds like the pandemic has allowed you to begin to creatively pioneer things with others that you probably wouldn't have done. Yes, that is true. I find that in the hardest things, in those hard places where, you know, everything screams hopeless and, um, you know, like you, there's just nothing, there's no way of getting through it, that God shows up and does, does something amazing and and really begins to open up doors that we just never thought were even possible. We never even thought of as a possibility. That's great. That's really great. So do you have any other future aspirations with your work that you would like to share about? I am excited about this, this work with my husband. Um, I'm excited to see where it goes. I chose wool uh, for uh, several different reasons, but one of the reasons was because it's so versatile, you can do so many things with it. So I'm hoping to really push all the different ways I can work with wool. Um, I, I don't, I have been working on a series of scarves, 
um, which feels very foreign to me. That's like in in the fashion. <laughs> that feels like a whole other area that I don't even want to go towards. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, I do love doing these scarves. So I have 200 of them and I'm uh, using them as like a sketchbook uh, each week. So I'm trying to just play with color and play with line and design. And that feels really fun and exciting. So um, that's an area of, I, I'm exploring. I'm exploring this, um, the sculptural aspects of, uh, of wool. And um, I really like the idea of combining wool with other materials. I guess maybe like I, it follows the theme of collaboration. You know, you have these two different people coming together and bringing the, these attributes of themselves into this place where they kind of intertwine and celebrate each other. And I, I'm really excited to do that um, with people, but I'm also really excited for that to reflect in my art. So that's amazing. That's wonderful. So I guess one more question that I have for you, Carrie, is, you know, as different ones are listening to this podcast, you know, they may be creatives that have been working in the art sector for a long time or people who just are interested in in stepping out in that for the first time. Do you have any any other encouragement for those who might be listening? Anything else that you would want people to know about either your own creative process or the the work that you do that you would love people to hear about? Yes, I do actually. I would say don't dismiss the craft. Don't, you know, for so many years when you're trained in fine art, you dismiss the craft. Like it's not, it's not good enough. You know, that's, that's not something that um, has value. I didn't give it value. I didn't know that craft had the value that it does. And I would say, don't dismiss those small trial and error you know, crafty things that you do because you don't know in that process of you playing where that's going to take you. You don't know, you know, uh, where a stitch or a, a, a staple or a piece of paper with a doodle on it is going to take you. All of those things are steps in your process and they can all take you um, to a place where your creativity um, it can be draw dropping to, to people around you. Um, and can open up doors for people around you. Sometimes, you know, we do these small little things and we don't think anything of them. And then the people around us, you know, they're profound for them. They don't, they don't realize that, um, it gives, it just gives them a new perspective, a new look on life and, uh, opens the, their eyes to a beauty that they didn't see before. So don't dismiss the small beginnings and the craft, <laughs> the crafty things in and around your life. Well, thanks, Carrie. This has been really great hearing about your journey. And where can people find out more about the work that you do? Sure. So you can follow me uh, on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, My Facebook is Rosalind Studios. My Instagram is Carrie Rosalind Studios. Um, And then you can always go to my site, which is CarrieRosalind.com. And uh, you can get to those social medias uh, through the site as well. Great. Wonderful. Thanks so much for being on the show. It's been great having you. Thank you. You too. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Carrie. And if you've not seen her work yet, head over to her website and check it out. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, I do hope that you will subscribe to it and rate and review it so that you can hear more inspiring stories from other creatives, artists, and authors. Thanks again, everyone. Thank you.